0: It's a well-known fact that parenting comes with a lot of responsibilities. There's one particular duty that all parents everywhere have to do, and that is comforting a child who's had a nightmare, uh, reassuring them that they're okay, that there's no danger, that they're perfectly safe, and holding them close while they drift off back to sleep. Nightmare is an awful thing, aren't they? So scary. But as adults, we know that there's one kind of nightmare that's worst of all. And that's the sort you can't wake up from. The nightmare that's actually happening to you in real life. Uh, Perhaps it's when the doctor sits you down and gives you the diagnosis that you dread. Or when that that significant relationship falls apart. Or when you're uh, bullied at school or at work or when you suffer a huge financial loss. These are the kinds of nightmares you wish you could wake up from, but you can't. And they can be really scary. Well, today's psalm is for anyone who's experiencing their own real-life nightmare. Anyone who's, who's feeling alone or abandoned, uh, trapped or, or scared. And let's face it, that's all of us at one time or another. If you don't already have a Bible open in front of you, uh, at Psalm 56, let me encourage you to grab one now and turn with me there. And let's look at it together now, starting with the title, where we see that this Psalm was written by King David and ended up in the temple hymn book. It was to be sung by the priestly choir to a tune called, A Dove on Distant Oaks. And we see that it was designated a miktam, probably an ancient musical term, but most significantly, the title tells us the historical background of this psalm. We see that it was written before David was king and at a time when he was in great danger. He read with me, the title of Psalm 56, up the top, where it says, For the director of music, to the tune of a dove on distant oaks, of David, a miktam, when the Philistines had seized him in Gath. So here we see the context in which this psalm was written, when the Philistines had seized David in Gath. Do you remember the story? It's recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Uh, David was on the run from jealous King Saul. Uh, Even though he'd been completely loyal to Saul, Saul had painted David as a traitor, was hunting him down like an animal. David wasn't safe anywhere. In the end, he ran away to the last place on earth Saul would think to look, to the city of Gath in Philistia. Now, why do you think that would be the last place on earth Saul would expect David to go? Well, for starters, does the name Goliath ring a bell for you? Well, guess where he was from? That's right, Gath. He'd been the local hero. That is, until David killed him, of course, with a sling and stone. And now David walks into Gath, not with an army, not even with a single friend, but all alone. And suspecting who he is, the officials of Gath capture him and they take him to their king, King Achish, to determine his fate. Look, they say. Isn't this David the, the man about, the, about whom the Israelites sing? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Now, you do know who those tens of thousands refer to, don't you? That's right, Philistines, like these guys. David had led many battles against these people and won them all. He's their arch enemy. And so hopefully you get a sense of just how desperate David is at this point. That he has considered Gath of all places his best option. And now he's being captured by the people there. Out of the frying pan and into the fire, as it were. What a scary, scary situation for David. An absolute nightmare. And it's in this context that David now pens this psalm beginning with a cry to God for mercy. David starts by pouring out his heart to God, telling him all about his fears and pleading for help. Look with me from verse 1, and notice David's repetition of the words, all day long, pursue and attack. David cries out, Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit all day long. They press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. This repetition is David's way of saying, God, I am totally overwhelmed here. No matter what direction I turn, they're there, always after me. I I feel trapped, I, I feel weak, I feel frightened. Help, Lord. Poor David. He's scared, stiff and, and understandably so, he is living a nightmare. And so he cries out to God. But then he does something quite extraordinary. You know, in defiance of his feelings, David resolves to trust God. And as he does, the most amazing transformation takes place. Suddenly, David's no longer afraid. It's not that his problems have all disappeared. It's just that his fear has. It's an extraordinary change of mood and that makes us ask, well, how can it be? I mean, has David simply resigned himself to some horrible end? Well, no, not at all. In fact, quite the opposite. David is, is no longer fearful because he remembers that his enemies cannot destroy him. And so he asks, what can mere mortals do to me? And at first we want to respond by saying, well, lots of things, David. They can imprison you, they can torture you, they can maim you, kill you. So how has David come to this conclusion? Well, for two reasons. Firstly, because David trusts that he is mere mortal flesh and blood enemies are no match for the immortal, all-powerful, eternal God of the universe. And secondly, because David knows and trusts God's word. And I bet he has specifically in mind that particular promise God made to him many years earlier when he was just a boy. The promise that he would one day be king of Israel David no doubt recalls that word of God, that promise, and confidently concludes that that no matter how bad things look, his enemies will be unable to destroy him. And with that, his fear vanishes. Here, read with me from verse 3. Verse 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise In God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? No wonder David praises God's word here. For him, it means life and hope. And as David trusts God to keep his promise, his fears disappear. His enemies don't melt away, but his fears do. For the time being, those enemies are still right there on every side, as menacing as ever. And so David calls on God to do something about them. He describes them as the sort of people that just cannot be trusted. The sort of people who, who twist your words and, and use them against you. Their sole intention is to ruin David. That's what keeps them awake at night. They're forever scheming, forever plotting So David prays that God will judge them according to their wickedness and bring them down instead. And he prays confidently because he knows that God sees and cares about his suffering, that he's not some distant God, aloof and and unfeeling, too busy running the universe to be concerned about his problems. No, he's right there with him well aware of David's suffering, in fact, noting every tear that falls from his eyes. Sure, David might have walked into Gath with no one at his side, but he's certainly not alone, because God is with him. And sure, David's enemies are watching him closely, but more significantly, so is God. And David knows that while ever that's the case, his enemies cannot defeat him. And with that encouraging thought, David repeats his refrain that he will trust God and his word and not be afraid of mere men. Here, read with me from verse 5. Verse 5. All day long they twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire. They lurk, they watch my steps, hoping to take my life. Because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations or the peoples down. Record my misery, list my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can man do to me? And so David is assured that God is at his side and that he will keep his promises. And so he trusts him. And as he does, his fear is replaced with praise. Obviously, if David is is so certain that God will eventually deliver him, fear no longer has any place in his heart. But praise does. And so now David promises to praise God by way of a thank offering, back at the tabernacle after this whole ordeal is over. And even more impressive... David concludes his psalm by by speaking about his deliverance in the past tense, as if it's already occurred. That's how confident he is that God will save him from the jaws of death. No wonder then that his fear is now replaced with praise. Here, read with me the final verses for today from verse 12. Verse 12. I am under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you, for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. And with that, we come to the end of today's psalm. What have we seen? Well, this is a song written by David in the middle of his own personal nightmare he's all alone feeling quite desperate in fact so desperate to escape Saul that he's gone to Gath where he's considered arch enemy number one but that's just made matters worse because now he's fallen into the hands of their king seems that everywhere David turns ruthless enemies are hell-bent on destroying him and yet he doesn't despair but cries out to God for mercy. And in his fear, he remembers God's promise, God's word, and chooses to trust him, knowing that he's with him and for him and that his deliverance is sure. And as he he does, his fear turns into praise. And, well, as it turns out, David's trust in God is totally justified. As he stands there terrified before the king of Gath, God gives David an ingenious idea and I've got to say I would love to have been a fly on the wall that day because in in an an Oscar award worthy performance, David pretends to be insane. He, He starts by foaming at the mouth like a crazy madman allowing saliva to run down his beard. And then he starts scratching senseless scribblings on the city gate, again, like a man out of his mind. Can you imagine it? But if you'll pardon the pun, there was method in his madness. It worked. Akish couldn't believe that the man before him could possibly be David, the giant killer. So he rebukes his officials for wasting his time and tells them to get this lunatic out of his presence. And so it is that God helps David escape from this seemingly impossible situation. And in the years to come, despite numerous close calls, God goes on to deliver David from Saul's hands too, till finally... Saul is killed in a battle against the Philistines and David is installed as Israel's king just as God had promised all those years before. As it turns out, David was right to trust God's word, wasn't he? He was right to believe God would deliver him from his enemies. He was right to turn from fear to praise. But what about us here today? I mean, sure, that's how David faced his living nightmare. But what does it all mean for how we should face our own? Because I hate to say it, friends, but real life nightmares are something that we'll all face sooner or later. And, friends, I know that for some of you, you're living it right now. Perhaps for you, it's financial. You know, the, the business is at risk or uh, the bills keep piling up. You don't, just don't know how much longer the job will be there. Perhaps it's relational. Your heart's been broken. Someone you trusted betrayed you or, or let you down. Perhaps it's health-related. The diagnosis isn't good. Or the pain's just unbearable. Maybe you're grieving the loss of someone you love and the tears just keep coming. Whatever it is, you just feel so alone, so overwhelmed, so scared. It's like a nightmare that you just can't wake up from. Well, friend, this psalm is for you because even though it's based on David's personal experience, Don't forget, this psalm ended up in the temple hymn book to encourage worshippers in every generation, including us here today. And as Christians living on this side of the cross, we have the wonderful privilege of seeing how this psalm is ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. So we have even more reason to trust God when we're afraid, more reason than David ever did. I mean, consider the parallels with Jesus' life. Uh, Even though he did nothing wrong, ruthless enemies sought to destroy him all the way. From King Herod, who, who tried to kill Jesus as a baby, to the religious leaders who plotted his death on a cross. Hanging there in agony, Jesus was alone, overwhelmed, full of anguish. Yet in that nightmare of nightmares, Jesus trusted in God and his promises. And just as God delivered David from the hand of his enemies and made him king, God delivered Jesus from death and made him king of kings. What could mortal men do to Jesus? they threw their worst at him but in the end God turned all those schemes on their head raising Jesus from the dead and making him the king and saviour of the world and now we who trust in him are made his children with the assurance that God is now forever with us and will keep all his promises to us and that friends changes everything, especially the way we can face real life nightmares when they come our way. Think about it with me. Firstly, in Christ, God is with you. He's with you. You know, when my my kids were younger and, and woke up in the middle of the night sobbing with fear from some nightmare, Beth and I We didn't just shut the door on them and tell them to keep it down. No, we went to them. Sometimes we even climbed into a bed with them and we held them tight. Our loving presence bringing them comfort and peace. Friend, God is with you in your nightmare. I know know you may feel all alone. I mean like no one really understands. No one gets what you're going through. But just as David was never truly alone, friend, neither are you. God is with you. And as with David, he sees every tear that falls from your eyes and he cares. Jesus says that not a sparrow falls to the ground, outside of God's will and that we're so much more precious in his sight. He sees your sadness but more than that he's not just the God who sees tears he's the God who's shed them too. Jesus walked this earth and felt its bitter disappointments and griefs and horrors First hand. So friend, when you're overwhelmed, cry out to him. Like David, pour out your heart to him. Tell him your fears, knowing that he gets it. That he's with you and for you. That he understands and cares. Secondly, in Christ, all God's promises are yours. And that too, friend, changes everything. You know, when my kids were younger and they had a really bad nightmare, uh, there was always one sure way of helping them see that they were okay. Can you guess what it is? That's right. Turning on the light. Not that turning on the light actually changed anything around them, but it did show the reality of their situation. They could see that they were perfectly safe. Well turning to God's promises is a bit like turning on the light. I mean that was David's experience wasn't it? He remembered God's promise to him and and he chose to believe it and that changed everything. Perhaps you think but oh, well you know that's well and good for David after all he had a specific promise from God that he would be the king So he could have absolute certainty. Well, friend, don't forget that unlike David, we have a whole Bible full of promises that are now ours in Christ. How important then that we know what those promises are. And of course, that's another great reason to be a part of a Bible study this year if you're not already planning to do so. What are some of God's promises that can shed light and, and bring peace when you face the nightmares of life? Well, there are just so many of them. But here, let me just give you a few. In my own words, consider these. God will never give you more than you can handle. Jesus will never leave you alone alone. God is working in all things to bring about good in your life. God's grace will see you through. God will give you the wisdom you need. God will provide for all your needs. Nothing, not even your worst nightmare, can ever separate you from God's love. And my favourite promise of all, that the day's coming when we'll be with God face to face and on that day he'll stoop down and not just notice our tears, but will wipe them away forever. And these are just some of the wonderful promises we find in the Bible. Promises we can cling to when tough times come. Friends, in Christ, God is with you and all his promises are ours. We can trust him and as we do, we can replace our fears with praise. Like Kate Davis did in her real life nightmare last year. Kate is known to many of us, she's a devoted wife, mother of four and a much loved member of our church church. Last July, Kater went in for a routine mammogram and not long afterward, found herself sitting opposite a doctor who started the conversation with the words, it's not good news. Further tests revealed that her breast cancer was large and aggressive. The surgeon recommended a double mastectomy with immediate reconstruction. I mean, what a nightmare. At the end of October, Kate underwent a 10-hour operation. Though she's now cancer-free, praise God, her recovery, both physical and emotional, is slow and challenging. When I asked Kate what difference it made, having God and his promises in her life these last few months, this is what she said. What a blessing it is to be loved by God and to belong to him. From the very beginning of this process, there have been Bible verses, song lyrics, encouraging words and prayers from friends, and many, many acts of kindness. All of these and more reminded me that God was saying, I've got this, and I've got you. You can rest in me. God didn't change my cancer story or instantly make me better. But then, even though I knew he could, I never expected him to. God has already given me the most precious gift of salvation. And so I believe however he chooses to plan my life, both the good and the bad, is the best plan there could be. Two days before my surgery, I was overwhelmed with an impending sense of doom At times I could hardly breathe, and I thought I might be going to die on the operating table. But the God of all comfort knew exactly what I needed. And the day before surgery, I was listening to songs as I drove in the car and these lyrics came on. Though the dread of night overwhelms my soul, he is here with me, I am not alone. Oh, his love is sure, And he knows my name for my god is the ancient of days god lovingly controls my tiny lifetime but promises me an endless eternity of pure joy with him so what difference did it make having god in my life during this time it was his presence to comfort me now and his assurance for my future In Isaiah 41, verse 13, it says, For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. And so I know that God was with me as I went into surgery, and he was with me when I woke up. He has been with me every day since. And he will be with me every day that I have left. I have nothing to fear. For my God is everlasting. And he holds me. God's presence and his promises make all the difference, don't they? They certainly do in Kate's life. As they did in David's. And they can make all the difference in ours too. So when the nightmares of life come our way, friends, let's entrust ourselves to our loving Saviour. And as we do, let's turn our fears to praise. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that Through Jesus, we can know with certainty that you're always with us and that you care deeply for us. Please comfort us as we face the various nightmares of this life. And Father, thank you for your word and for all the wonderful promises we find in it. Help us to know them and believe them. And through them, please strengthen us to trust you to praise you and to fear no more. In Jesus' name, amen.